live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show. Here is the deal. Let me kind of go through what we know, and then I want to discuss this with you. It's just mind-boggling, and it might not technically be illegal, but if it's not, it should be. The reality is no car insurance, no problem. Nuts to that. Let's get them off the road. Impound the cars. Make the streets safer. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. What are those people talking about? You got a deal. A deal is a deal. Stop whining about it. Live up to its obligations. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Eric Bilstadt, I confess, it is wearing. Uh, Dow Jones Industrials, big day yesterday, up over 900 points, coupled with, okay, Monday it was up big, yesterday it was up big, Tuesday it was down big, today down big, 989 points, um, and it just this giant roller coaster based on no new news. That That's the right, thing that's kind right. of wearing. It, it's not like... There's any different dynamic? I mean, okay, we're we're worried about the coronavirus. Okay, we think we've got a handle on this. Now we're worried about it. Up, well, down, up, down. The airline number has changed a little bit. Where the revenue loss from the airlines yeah. seems to be a lot bigger than what they originally had said. So that might be playing a role. But maybe you just buy what it's really well, buy it, every it, other day. Well, it's right. It, or, it, well, it's, or just see a lot of or this stuff it. is just baked in. Now the Dow right now just clicked. It's down a thousand points, right. and, and there's really nothing. There's no new driving huge financial information. It's just this, this these panic different swings that you that you have, which for the average investor, you, you really don't have any choice other than just kind of ride it out. I mean, unless you're going to – I'm cashing out my 401K and I'm going to put it in gold and I want the bars to put under my bed. You know, it, There's just really sure. not a lot you can do. But I do acknowledge it does kind of get wearing when you see this going up and down, especially if you get a little bit older and you're a little closer to retirement. Sure, no, I get it. You know? I so get it. it is interesting. But at the same time, there are great I, – I do continue to believe that there are great opportunities out there. I mean, if you're looking for a second home or something like that, interest rates at all-time lows and um, you know, definitely, I think, a buyer's market in some regards. So there, there's things that you can take advantage of, but we'll continue to track it. But, yeah, I, I acknowledge it's kind of wearing. I, I'm, yesterday I came home, I hit the button, I kind of looked at the assets. Oh, well, that's, that's great. They've, they're kind of a lot of the, a lot of the bad stuff that happened last week. It's, we're still not back to where we were, but it, it's okay. And then I looked today down a thousand points. It's like, okay, <clears throat> yeah. So I have to work till I'm 95. That's okay. It'll all work out. We have a lot of ground to cover on today's program. We're going to be talking about national politics, a number of local stories as well. We are going to talk about the coronavirus. I want to start off, though, with a topic I call the Ballad of John Woo. Let me tell you the story. And my question is going to be, is he getting what he deserves or is he being railroaded? John Woo is an assistant football coach and a security aide. So in, in, a, in a high school in McHenry, Illinois, Huntley High School, McHenry, Illinois is, is the county. If you go out to Lake Geneva and you go south, uh, McHenry is that county, the first county you hit when you hit the Illinois border, if you were going directly south from Lake Geneva. Big county, about one of the fifth or sixth largest counties in in um in the state of Illinois. Okay, so here's the deal with John Wu. The guy, he's a security aide and he also, you know, works as an assistant football coach. 
This happens a couple weeks ago, February 21st. He's on duty in the lunchroom, right? So you got the high school lunchroom. He's one of the security guys that are on duty there. What happens is a big disturbance breaks out in the lunchroom. You have kids that are screaming at each other. It is, we're not supposed to use the word riot, but, you know, a melee. Think think Mayfair Mall last Saturday, okay? So you have kids that, that start, you know, screaming at each other and start punching each other out. There are two kids. These are teenagers. They are standing on chairs in the lunchroom. And they are egging the fight on. So they're standing up on chairs and they're screaming, fight, fight, hit them, hit them. You don't understand this. So they are, I don't know if it's fair to say they're instigating it, but they are definitely trying to encourage this thing to get worse. All right, so here's what happens. Wu, 52 years old, he goes up to the kids. Now, the kids are standing on chairs. He says, get down, get off the chairs. The kids refuse to get off the chairs, at which point in time he reaches up and he kind of grabs both kids by the sweatshirt and he pulls them off the chairs. Get, I said, get down. He, he kind of pulls them down. Okay, so they, they kind of, he starts pulling on them. They get down. At that point in time, what he does is one of the kids has a hoodie on and one of the kids has just, you know, a, a regular shirt or whatever. He takes these two kids who've been standing on the chairs screaming, fight, 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 and by the scruff of the neck, by one kid by the hoodie, the other kid by the shirt collar, he physically removes them from the lunchroom. All right, so he, he, he kind of drags them out, doesn't punch the kids, doesn't kick the kids, but he drags them out by the, the scruff of their neck, as it were. Gets the kids outside. They go down to the office, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. All right, so so that's the deal. One of the kids' mothers finds out that this the security guard slash assistant football coach laid hands on her little snowflake. What do you mean? You mean he grabbed you by the sweatshirt, and you mean he dragged you out? You know, by by your hood. Oh, how terrible that is! And the mom then calls the cops and says, I want him charged. He assaulted my son. At which point in time, the police move in, and the police issue a municipal citation for battery. Battery against the aide-slash-football coach. All right. Now, there's a charge so at that point in time, the school then comes to him and says, hey, you, you've been charged. We have, we have a no-touch policy. You touched these children, and so you have violated the no-touch policy. Now you have been charged, and we want you out. And under pressure, the assistant coach then resigns. All right, He, he resigns because he violated the no-touch policy. Ultimately, apparently, the authorities have just wiped away the the battery charge. They figure they're not going to get anywhere trying to charge him criminally. But as it stands now, he's out of a job, forced essentially to resign because of this incident in the lunchroom. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't know about you, but, you know, this is to me 
one of the reasons public schools are so out of control in this country. And this idea that the kids here are the victim, I think, is absolutely outrageous. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Not only should this aide-slash-football coach, not only should he have not been pressured to resign, I think he should have been applauded by the school for doing what it took to stop this lunchroom brawl from escalating into more things. And the fact that the mother is outraged that her punk kid, who is standing on a chair trying to incite a riot, She's upset that the punk kid was physically dragged out of the lunchroom. To me, it says a lot more about the mother than it does about the school aid or anything else. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, of course, I grew up in an environment where I had a seventh grade math teacher that used to, this is back in the days of chalkboards, you know, when you actually had the, the chalkboards, he would throw erasers at people. If you were doping off in class, he'd fire an eraser you know hitch in the side of the head never threw one at me but you know chalk would go flying people would laugh you would be not hurt but stunned all right 855-616-1620 that's the acunate mortgage talk and text line school does have a no touch policy and in this particular case in order to get the two kids to desist from trying to start a riot the the a did touch them is this a basis for being fired? And what do you think about the no-touch policy in general? Gru is lining up the calls we discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. John from Cudahy Text. Jeff, what good is having security if they can't actually do anything? What a great question. Okay, you, you've got security aides in the high school lunchroom, a riot melee whatever word you want to break use is breaking out there's kids up on chairs going fight 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 hit them the security guard tells the kids to get down off the chairs they refuse to do it so he grabs them both by the by the belts or whatever pulls them down and then grabs them by the scruff of the neck or the hoodie and escorts them out and the the mother wants the guy charged with wants him fired and wants the guy charged with assault or battery or whatever what is the good of having security if they're not going to be allowed to do anything 855-616-1620 that's the acunate mortgage talk and text line let's start with shannon in milwaukee hi shannon how you doing so this is this is very common right so Go to the retail stores. Take a Best Buy. They always have one or two people standing at the front door. But they tell those people, you can't touch anyone, you can't grab anyone, and you can't chase anyone. So if a person grabs some merchandise, they can run right past those people, and there's nothing they can do except yell at them. Because the minute they try to grab someone or chase someone out the store, they get terminated. Right. It's like the toothless dog. We can bark, but we can't bite. So what happens in the school is the security guard becomes a mockery to the student. Yeah. They know he can't do anything. He has no power. So let's just do whatever we want because we know the minute he touches us, we can cry to the school, we can cry to our parents, and the police will come. Now, you can't really blame the police. They have a valid complaint from a citizen. They have to investigate it. But they should have used the common sense power that they have to say this guy is working. Right. Being a security guard is his job. 
he was doing his job. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks, for and, the school to fire him is crazy. Yeah, no, thanks. For the, or, or in this case, they, they forced him out. They forced him to resign. But, but yeah, I mean, plus, this goes to this bigger point about the, the quote-unquote no-touch policy. Now, look, do I think... Am I a, a fan of corporal punishment? Well, well, no. But in a situation like this, to tell, to your point, to tell a security guard that, no, you, you can't touch the kids. There's a brawl that is breaking out. These kids are standing on chairs. They are instigating this. They are refusing to comply with your instructions. But don't touch them. Just stand there and watch them do this. And let's see how many kids can get involved in, in a battle. That, that, to me, is nuts. I mean, this idea that, no, you can't touch these kids at all, BS, these kids deserve to be touched. And you know what? I suspect that maybe if the parents had touched these kids a couple times when they were growing up, they would not have the sense of entitlement that they have now. Let's talk to Chris on the West Side. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. I have to agree with you and Shannon. And My other point was, had the melee actually gotten to the point where her precious son had been injured, she probably would have been suing the school board for not providing enough security to prevent the injury. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. What are these security? You, you see this, you see this brawl that's starting. You have these kids that are instigating this. So this means that, you know, inevitably somebody is going to get hurt. There's a good likelihood of that. You're exactly right. You know, what would the reaction be? What do you mean? You stood around and watched these kids scream and encourage everybody to fight and you did nothing? What's the purpose of having the security guard then? That's, that's what I would be arguing if I was the parent and one of my children was hurt. What do you mean they didn't do anything to break it up? Oh, no, no. Oh, we have a no-touch policy. How nuts is that? Agreed. Yeah, thanks for calling. No, I mean, it, it's, it's just that the whole thing is just absolutely crazy with a capital C. And it's so interesting. And, and now now there's starting to be a backlash because, like I say, the school comes in. Well, there's a no-touch policy. You t- did, did you grab the kids by the hoodie? Yeah, I grabbed the kid by the hoodie. I was getting him. He refused to follow my instructions. Yes, I, I got him down off the chair. Yes, I grabbed him by the hoodie. Yes, I hauled him out of the cafeteria because that was the only way I could get him to move out of the cafeteria. And, and yeah, I'm pulling on the hoodie. Mom is whining. Oh, my little darling was choked a little bit. Well, okay. Too bad. Too bad. Dale in Janesville. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Many years ago, I lived in Milwaukee. I went to a parochial high school. I'm not going to say what high school it was, but I was a freshman in high school, and there was a guy that raised a fricus in our study hall, and the guy that was the overseer of that, he was a FIED teacher. He picked him and his desk up and threw get to the principal's office now. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but these Gen Y, Gen Xers, millennials, whatever it is, they have no respect for authority today. Right. And you know what? Amen. This guy did what he had to do, and I am so sorry sick of these people just saying, oh, my poor dear child, right. give me a break. He disrupted stuff. He has no respect for authority. Yep. Yeah, I, I think right. going to do, exactly. Well, I mean, it, it's it is it is the it's the no respect sort of thing. Now, <clears throat> I, I don't want you to listen to this and interpret this as I'm saying that I, I think that, you know, school security guards or teachers or whatever should have just a, a free reign to beat kids within an inch of their life. OK, that but that's not what I'm I'm not I'm not saying that. And in this particular case, what happened is 
The kids are on the chairs. Fight, fight, fight. Get down. Stop it. No, I'm not going to. Get down. No, not going to. At that point in time, you grab them. You pull the kid down. Oh, come on. We're going to the office. No, I'm not going. So you grab them by the scruff of the neck and you haul them out. Okay, that to me is not excessive force. Does it violate a no-touch policy? Yeah, but this is one where, at least in my opinion, it's no harm, no foul. Jeff, here's a text. I taught for 34 years. When I started in 1979, many parents expressed to me that I had their approval to deal with their child in any manner which would work. Many times the father would grin and say, and I mean anyway. I never had to physically deal with a student. Parents thought differently back then. You know, that's kind of the point. Because if you think the kids don't believe that they are untouchable and that they just have a green light to do whatever they want, well, I, I think you're being naive because kids know they can pretty much get away with anything. And in a situation like this, you have some of these mothers of these young punks who want to enable that. Oh, that was so terrible. My kid was dragged out. Look, I I, and I, I, I hate to maybe the, I, I hope this isn't a generational thing. But I, I mean, whenever I hear stories like this, I think of my folks, Ann and Jack Wagner. And I'm trying to imagine if I had ever done something like this in a in a lunchroom, lunchroom at Nicolet High School. I'm trying to picture them, the assistant principal, having this conversation with my father, saying, well, here's what Jeff did. There was a fight that was breaking out. He was standing on a chair, screaming, fight, 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 trying to encourage this. And then when... I don't know. The lunchroom aide tried to get him to stop. He refused to. At that point in time, they grabbed him, they pulled him off the chair, and they hauled him out to the office where he's sitting here now. I am trying to relate, imagining if you told that to my dad, what the reaction would be. I guarantee you, number one, it wouldn't be, oh, my gosh, you mean they dragged Jeff out? (laughs) And number two, it would be. Why don't you send him home? I want to have a discussion with him. And I got to tell you, that would not have been a very pleasant discussion on my part to have with Jack Wagner. Back with more in just a minute. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right. We talked a little bit about this story two days ago. The jury has now returned its verdict. If the verdict is upheld, the taxpayers of the city of Milwaukee are going to be out $1.67 million. Did the guy win the legal lottery or does he have a legitimate beef? All right, here's the story. If you haven't heard it, it goes back about 10 years ago. Man, his name is Jimmy Harris. Um, he's driving, this is about, like I say, 10 years ago, he's driving a 1999 Chrysler Sebring. He gets pulled over by a Milwaukee police officer. The Milwaukee police officer pulls him over because the color, in the opinion of the police officer, the color of the car did not match the color that was listed on the DMV record. So in, in other words, the, the, the Sebring, when you, when you pull it up, when you, when you run the plate, so the, the police officer runs the plate, it comes back to register to this man. Uh, the plates are current. Comes back and it says it's a gray Sebring. All right? The police officer stops him and says, uh, I, your, your car is black. And the guy gets out of the car and he says, no, my, my car's not black. My, my car is gray. No, I, it's, it's black. You know, th- this must be a stolen car. At uh, which point in time, they, they 
kind of get into an argument. He's, the, the driver is saying the car is, look, it, it's gray. They run it. It comes back. He's got a valid driver's license. The car is registered to him. The uh, license is current. So there's no problem at all. But the police officer says, hey, no, this, this it, the car is black. And the guy is saying, no, the, the car is, it's like a dark gray. So they get into an argument, at which point in time the man is taken into custody. Now, there, there's dash cam video of this. He says, hey, look, I just had rotator cuff surgery. And he's taken down. And he's taken down pretty hard. And he's handcuffed and things like that. And, you know, he's he's hauled off. The guy, the police officer who pulled him over, um, now a detective, um, you know, he his story was I pulled him over because of, of the color. Several years later, he changed his story and said, well, I first of all, I thought he was like weaving. There was a little bit of lane deviation. And, and then I noticed that the color was different. But the, the incident report doesn't make any mention of of lane deviation. So I think the I think the jury assumed that the police officer was, if not lying, embellishing this. But but the whole thing starts because of the color of the vehicle. Now when I talked about this story the other day, my my car my car is gray. It's like it's it's like a gun I it's a gunmetal gray. My wife swears it is blue. When she looks at the car, she sees blue. It's gray. I think. Unless you see it in a certain sunlight, maybe you see a little bit of blue. But, but you know, I, it, it's not, okay, I see gray, she sees blue. It, it's not like, gee, one person sees black, another person sees white. In this particular case, it was either gray, a dark gray, or it was black. But the police officer pulls him over. The guy gets a bit of an attitude when he's pulled over for the, the color of the car. In Wisconsin, and apparently Milwaukee police officers weren't trained on this at the time, the, the color of the car, a discrepancy, that's not probable cause or reasonable suspicion to make a stop. It can add into other things if you stop the car for something less. But this guy's position was, hey, I was driving. This cop pulled me over for no reason at all and then, um, you know, ended up injuring me worse because, you know, he decided to take me into custody when we, we got into a disagreement. Jury heard all the testimony and without much deliberation, returned a verdict yesterday, $1.6 million, including $900,000 in punitive damages for the the police. Essentially, they found it was a false arrest situation, and I, I guess would assume that the reason the guy was stopped, they found it to be pretextual in the first place. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I... I I don't know about the testimony and the extent of the man's injuries. You know, and that's that's something they heard testimony about. Did the way he was arrested, given the fact that he apparently saying, hey, I have a shoulder injury, I just, just had rotator cuff surgery. Did the way they arrested him, you know, add to his injuries, hurt him more? You know, that's something for the jury to decide, I guess. And the jury did decide that they used excessive force in taking him into custody. But I want to go back to the basic premise, which is, should he have been pulled over in the first place? Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I am, I freely acknowledge I am pro-police. I understand what a difficult job they have. I understand that there's always people second-guessing them and Monday morning quarterbacking things. Having said that, though, I have to tell you, my reaction to this when I first heard about it was, this thing stinks. 
I mean, if and, and the idea that is we're going to pull somebody over, we're going to pull somebody over because, gee, the DMV says the car is gray. I look at it and it looks black to me. And then, you know, this is going to escalate after and then when the person has a valid driver's license and the registration matches and the VIN matches and everything is fine, I'm still going to escalate this and arrest him. This whole thing stinks. Now, I don't know if he's entitled to one point six seven million, but he is entitled to something. The way the Milwaukee police behaved, at least in my opinion, in this particular situation was was wrong. It was plain wrong. And I'm surprised that the Milwaukee City Attorney's Office didn't do everything they could to try to get out of this because this was a loser, at least in my opinion, from the beginning. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, this is my perception from somebody who wants to give the police every benefit of the doubt. But I'm sitting there thinking, you pulled this car over because the license is valid everything's current there's no tail light out everything checks out except you think the car is black and the dmv registration says gray really let's start with vincent on the northwest side vincent you're first hello uh good afternoon jeff Hi, vincent. you know the fact is even if they didn't have the policy of, of stopping cars because of their of, of the color of the car the fact is once the police officer determined that this this individual is the owner of the car and the fact is, it should end it right there. He yeah. should apologize to the individual and let him go. You know, it, this should never escalate to what it what it did. So, 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 and, and then he gets on. Then the police officer gets on the stand and basically lies while he stopped the individual. So, yes, I think this individual deserves everything he gets because this obviously he was traumatized by this whole thing. Yeah, well, well, it's a, and and apparently his shoulder was more his shoulder was you know injured in connection with this. this that's what the jury finds. But I mean, I'm with you. Once you, first of all, I just I can't imagine pulling a car over simply because you think it's black and some you know the registration says gray. You think it's black. I, that to me to stop a car for that in the first place tells me that you're out there looking to try to pull cars over. Exactly, and there's plenty of individuals out there that they can be pulling over that that are driving dirty out here. So yeah, right. To, drive, to, to stop somebody that's that's that that uh, is legally driving, this is ridiculous. No, thanks for the call. Well, actually, and and thanks for the call. I appreciate. it. Let's talk to Mark. Uh, Mark, you're on WTMJ. Hey, thanks for having me. Hi, Mark. What do you think? You know, I think that it really boils down to the color of the vehicle. If it had been red, if it had been green, if it had been blue, there would have been no question that it didn't line up. And then the police officer is well within his right to pull the car over because it doesn't match up. But if it's something that's close or open to misinterpretation, that's just a clear overreach. And it's cases like that that uh, that cause people to have a lack of faith or to lose trust in the police department. Well, it, it does. And I mean, I'm, I'm trying to imagine, you know, I, I can imagine the frustration that the guy driving the car has. Why did you pull me over, officer? I pulled you over because, you know, the register, the, the car is a different color. Thanks, Nicole. You're, you're, the car is a different color. What do you mean the car is a different color? It, it, it's a gray car. But, see, I, I agree with both you and Vincent. That to me, from the police officer's perspective, if the police officer is doing his job, 
All right. And, and again, in Wisconsin, you're not legally allowed to pull cars over based on a discrepancy in the color. That's not a legal enough basis to stop a car. But let's put that aside because apparently that's not how they train the Milwaukee Police Department, which is a whole nother issue during the Ed Flynn regime. But OK, what once you, you get out of the car, let's say you are concerned. Maybe this is a stolen car. All right. We well, you know what's going on here. Maybe the plates are on a different kind of car. Guy pulls out. Hey, this is my vehicle registration matches, VIN matches, it's clearly not a stolen vehicle. At that point in time, you thank them, you apologize, and you send them on on their way. Instead of, gee, you know, you cop an attitude, and I guess the guy cops an attitude too, but he's been pulled over for a BS reason. So you kind of understand maybe where this is coming from. Let's talk to Neil in Brookfield. Neil, you're on WTMJ. Hey, good morning. Good afternoon. Happy Thursday to you. Yes, sir. Um, I, I think we got two wrongs here. I think we got the, a, a wrongful stop. I totally agree with that. And the judgment as well. Um, $1.6 million for a guy that had a bad shoulder to start with, to me, seems a little excessive. Yeah. Um, but so I, I don't know, do two wrongs make a right? No, absolutely. But I don't think the guy should have been stopped. But at the same time, I don't think that $1.6 is because this right. is going right back into the the taxpayers, right? Yeah, no, and it's, it's, it's not the city. Pay, it's not the city paying this. It's the taxpayers, right? Because they're self insured. No, you're you're right there. Thank, and again, I that that's why when I mentioned this two days ago, and now of course the the new information is that you've got the the jury verdict that's come out. Uh, the nine, my understanding is nine hundred thousand dollars of this is a punitive damage verdict. Let let's punish the city of Milwaukee. I, I don't know if that verdict is going to be upheld on appeal. And that's why I was saying yesterday, two days ago, and, and I say again today, I don't I don't have a position on the amount of the verdict, the degree of the verdict, what the pain and suffering was. But on the other hand, you know, if you're, I don't know, if you just had shoulder surgery and now that you've been stopped improperly and you've been taken into custody um, without a proper basis, and, you know, you're injured, there's going to be some degree of liability. I don't know if the $900,000 verdict is going to stand up an appeal or not, but I will tell you, this is an example where, at least in my opinion, you had an out-of-control police officer who, by the way, still on the police force, I mean, still on the police force, used very, very bad judgment. My sense of what was really going on here is you had an officer who thought something funny was going on and was going to try to stop the car and see where it ended up going. And that's that's the problem. you got to train police officers. It's a tough, tough job. But when they screw up, and in this case it seems to me it's a huge screw-up, uh, again, I, I think you have to understand there's a degree of accountability, and it does show that from a police community relations perspective, we still do have a ways to go. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. A large number of texts, as you might expect, about this topic. Um, here's a text. Jeff, if I decide midway through a year to have my white truck painted red, does that really mean the police have a reason to arrest me? No, they, they don't. And, and that's the whole point. That's why, even though apparently some of the Milwaukee police officers didn't know that, a color mat, not matching on, on a vehicle, that in and of itself is not a basis to legally stop a, a car. Now, ultimately... You know, if you're if you're thinking about a car that might be you know involved in car theft or something, a change in color you know might be a factor that you would want to take into account, obviously. But but no, it's 
in and of itself, it's not like that. And then to my point earlier, Jeff, I have a friend who owns a truck. I usually always see the truck at night. I swear I always thought it was black. The other day I was talking to my friend next to the truck under a street light, and I found out that the truck is actually dark, dark green, much to my surprise. I, You know, I, I understand the mistake, but in this case... Once the police officer is next to the car, it's easier to see. But again, it, okay, you see dark, dark green. You know, I, I see black. All right, well, that's probably just kind of our different perceptions of colors, and nobody's right or necessarily or nobody's wrong, but it doesn't mean that, you know, you're a criminal and you should be stopped. And in this particular case, the officer at least was was very, very wrong. I'm not surprised that the verdict came down against the city of Milwaukee. The amount, well, I guess they will decide. As long as we were talking about the Milwaukee Police Department, let me give you an update on, on something that we discussed yesterday. The horrible story, what, a, a week ago, week ago Wednesday, involving the workplace shooting at the Miller Brewing Company. I, I understand it's Molson Coors, but I think of it as Miller Brewing, so bear with me. Where you had the, the shooter, the disgruntled employee who comes in and, and kills a number of his coworkers and then kills himself. The, I, I, and I think, I, I think this is something that the media deserves blame for for trying to develop a particular narrative without the information to to do it. The Washington Post ran a huge story yesterday talking about apparently, you know, racial issues um, at at Miller at Miller Brewing. And there were a number of employees who started talking about having, you know, complaints with racial issues over the years. And Miller acknowledged that apparently five years ago, there was a noose that was found at the guy, the, the shooter's locker, and they investigated it and could never determine who put it there. And so nothing really came of the matter. And so then what you had yesterday in the Washington Post story in particular is you had people, including State Senator Lena Taylor, who wants to be mayor, trying to draw this line between, oh, there's been examples of of racial harassment or racial problems at Miller, and then trying to connect that, oh, that that must have been a factor in in the shooting. Now, I'm thinking, okay, this is not, number one, helpful. Number two, it's not responsible, absent evidence. And, of course, the Milwaukee police chief appeared with John um, McCure yesterday and and was very clear. I mean, here's the statement. They said they have been conducting a thorough investigation. It's still ongoing, but at least at this point, Milwaukee police detectives have interviewed several witnesses regarding the suspect's actions and the statements. The department says as a result of what we have so far, neither race nor racism has been identified as a factor in this incident. Therefore, the narrative of retaliation based on, you know, racial discrimination being the suspect's motive has not been substantiated. So in other words, whatever was going through this shooter's mind, and you're never going to know this for sure because he's dead. You're never going to know that for sure. But at least thus far, the police department can't find a link between that and, you know, racism that was targeted at him, which is why, in my opinion, it is so incredibly irresponsible for members of the media or for politicians to try to make that leap without any sort of evidence. Because Lord knows we've got enough, we've got a lot of racial issues going on in this community and in the state and in this country. 
All right. And to sit there and say, OK, well, th- this mass shooting had to be precipitated in some way, shape or form. And, and again, I appreciate what Lena Taylor said wasn't that it was all due to this, but she said it had to be a factor. OK, well, how irresponsible can that be unless you have evidence to prove that? And at least thus far, the investigation that they're conducting isn't coming back and finding anything based on racial issues. Will we ever know? What the real motive was, probably not, you know, unless there's some note, unless there's something. But you know, probably not. We'll probably never know. But it's not helpful to speculate on certain areas if you don't know. Just saying. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Eric Bilstadt, we were talking during the break. This, the, the whole thing with the coronavirus, it's interesting to me about how it, it's changing in some ways that are big and in some ways that are small, kind of like everyday life. For example, I, I got I got an email from the rector at the church I go to, and it's it's addressing coronavirus issues. And, there, you know, of course, that's, you know, a church where you have a large number of people that are coming together and you're interacting, and they're... Um, you know, and, and they're talking about some of the measures they're going to they're going to have large dis- dispensers of hand sanitizer at, at various places, you know, throughout the church. And for like the Sunday school okay. kids, they're going to have hand sanitizer in the different rooms Makes and they're going to instruct them on that. But what I what I found was interesting is at least in, in our church, they're, they're at least temporarily going to change the communion practices, because I, I know different churches do it differently in, in our church. It's a two-step process, and although you don't have to do both steps, that they come around first and they give you the wafer, and then they they have the communion cup, and you you, you drink the wine out out of the communion cup, mm-hmm. and they go and they they wipe it off, and then or what you have is people can take the wafer and they can dip it into the wine, yes. and, and some people do that. I've never done that, but I know some people some people do, and it's interesting because they they just sent out this note saying. During the while this is going on, they're not going to allow the um, they call it intinction, which is the dipping. Oh, okay. they're, they're not going to allow that. I think presumably because you've got the wafer in your hands and you touch it, and then and your you dirty dip fingers it. might hit the water. Well, or that or you you, you touch the wafer and your germs get on the wafer, and then you dip that into the wine. They're ah. not going to allow that, but they are going to allow you to take out of the cup because they say. That you know, it's wiped off between every use. It's sanitized by active wiping with an alcohol-enhanced purificator. But anyhow, that that's I, I found. I mean, this is how yeah. you know places of worship are, are dealing. At least it's how my church is dealing with it. And I'm now, sure what, it's an issue. What about because sometimes people just open their mouth and they'll place the wafer in their mouth. I wonder if that's still acceptable. Yeah, I guess in in my Probably church. Probably not. I'm well, right in in my church. They, they you, you you hold out your hand right. and, they, and they give it to you, You're but right. I mean it. But it but is it, it's you can understand that they're trying to be proactive and trying to figure out how to do this. And and I mean I do wonder if if this becomes dramatically more pronounced in this country, and I think it's going to have to be dramatically more pronounced. But you do wonder how how, how is it going to affect 
base sporting events and things right. like that. I mean, where you you go and there's you know lots and lots of people that are there. We're only a couple of weeks from opening day, of course, at yeah. Miller Park. I mean, I, I think it would have to be much more pronounced uh, because like I said a lot of Wisconsin. They just announced that they're, they're this is not a it doesn't qualify as as an emergency health situation right. at this point. So, but you do kind of wonder how that goes down. Of course, the good news is the. If you can believe what's coming out of China, the the degree of the spread has reduced dramatically. Uh, the spread of the disease has reduced dramatically in China. So that, it, it, if you can believe what they're telling people, so sure. that that means that maybe they're starting to get a handle on it. But interesting. I just it's kind of like you you think about those things, and I'm sure if you're a minister or a rabbi or or whatever you know or a priest you're, you're thinking about those things because the last thing you want is people to be afraid to come to church well so do you think differently now when it comes to like shaking someone's hand or the you know the peace mm-hmm. offering that type of thing in a I, church setting i i mean i i'm reaching into my front pocket now i carry i've got my little thing of of, of hand sanitizer that i i i do it a lot and it's not just because I'm worried about other people, it's I'd, if if I've got germs and stuff, I don't sure. want to spread them. So I mean, I, I I'm a regular. I'm I'm kind of born again hard when it comes to using the, the hand sanitizer, just because, um, at least for the time being, that's what they say. Wash yeah. your hands a lot, and it, it takes care of it. I mean, I'm 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 not panicked about this. Maybe we'll do this a topic later. On. I don't know about you, but I I mean, I went to Las Vegas last week. I, I don't have any trips coming up for a few months, but I mean, I at this point in time, I wouldn't cancel. Now, if I was going to China, that would be one thing. But I mean, if I if I was going to Disney World or I was going to Las Vegas or I was going to Washington D.C. or something, I wouldn't cancel a trip right now because sure. of it. Would you? No, no. I mean, I have family in Seattle, and they're not yeah. they're not concerned about this. Yeah. At this point, so I mean, it's. I think you just have to remember to right. practice good hygiene, and you should be in a good place. Well, and and, okay. and the truth is, I mean, I I understand the the fatality rate, but as a general rule. The, the risk, the, the, the people as a general rule who are dying are the people who have co- highly compromised immune systems. Mm-hmm. I mean, people die at a nursing home or something yeah, like multiple, that. Multiple, like six or seven. Right, so, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and I'm not downplaying it all, right, but that's right. what happens when the flu, you know, you, you have somebody who's 90 years old with a compromised immune system at an at a nursing home, and the flu goes through mm-hmm. there. You, you have that happen. I'm not downplaying it, but, you know, interesting. Okay, but that does lead into what I want to talk to you about. There's a big story in the Wall Street Journal. The the coronavirus fears, as Eric and I were talking about a little while ago, uh, just, again, the market, it just the stock market just up and down. Yesterday, it's up 900-some points. At one point in time today, it was down over 1,000. Now it's down 900. And there's really no major news that's going on. It's just, okay, one day we think we're past this. The next day, oh, my gosh, we're all wrapped up in the fears about this. And so, you know, it, it's up or it's down or whatever. There's an interesting story in the Wall Street Journal today. Um, one of the companies, one of the businesses, that at least short term appears to be doing extremely well is Campbell's Soup. Now, you might say, why is Campbell's Soup doing well? And that is because retailers are apparently stocking up on uh, Campbell's Soup, you know, the canned soup and other canned foods in response to the coronavirus epidemic. Um, What they're saying is that um, they're, they're seeing that retailers are starting to buy a lot of what they describe as the less popular items that that Campbell sells. Spaghettios, 
Yeah, Drew, you're shaking your head too. Okay, but right. I mean, I, I remember SpaghettiOs as a kid. I didn't like them then, but but they're still around. Anyhow, apparently, they're they're ordering retailers are ordering tons and tons of SpaghettiOs because they're they're anticipating that there's going to be runs on various types of canned food. So SpaghettiOs, um, Swanson canned chicken. Huh. Don't. I, you know, doesn't even sound good, but but again, but it, it's all these these foodstuffs that you can buy, I guess, in bulk, and you can put in your basement. So if you can't go out for a month, you've got food. Yeah, Kaylee's thinking about doing something like this, not necessarily Campbell's soups or things like that, but like bulk foods, like grains and stuff like that, putting them in mason jars. Uh, like Campbell's shares were up 10% on Wednesday, just because of that. 10%. Right. The stock shares you know, went up because they think that there's going to be stronger momentum things. Jif peanut butter, Kraft macaroni and cheese. Target said uh, yesterday it is seeing a surge in this buying. I mean, a surge in buying as people are, again, laying in huge foodstuffs. All right, our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I Look, for a variety of reasons, I don't think there, there's anything wrong with having a case or two of bottled water sitting in your basement and, and maybe, I don't know, some some foodstuffs, some extra cans of peanut butter or, or things like that in case there's some sort of emergency situation. I mean, I, I, I we don't have that in, in our basement, but, you know, I, if, if you were to say to me, okay, Jeff, I'm, I'm going out, I, I bought a couple cases of bottled water and I bought, I don't know, a dozen cans of, of soup and I bought some peanut butter just in case, you know, the whole world falls apart. I, I wouldn't criticize that, but I'm not at that point yet, but I guess what I would like to talk to you about is what about the hoarding? What about the stockpiling? Are you at a point where you're thinking, you know, that this is the time. I don't know what's going to happen with this, but this is the time. I'm going to go run out and I'm going to buy 10 or 12 cases of bottled water and I'm going to buy, you know, jar after jar of peanut butter and I'm going to buy X number of cartons of the, the Campbell soup because if I'm in a situation where there's a run on the stores, I want to be able to I want to be able to sit it out for 30 or 60 or 90 days. I'm not at that point. Are you? 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it time to start, well, for want of a better word, hoarding? 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm not there, but maybe I'm, I mean, I freely acknowledge that I'm I'm not an early adopter. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are you thinking about making a run to the store and, like, laying in a month's supply of foodstuffs? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Let's start with Paula in Wind Lake. Hi, Paula. Hi, Jeff. Okay. Hi. Jeff. Hi. Is is now the time? Is is it time to start running and stocking up on stuff? No, I don't think that we should stock up on anything. 
All right. Well, aren't you worried that, you know, the stores are going to close and there's going to be a run on stuff and we're not going to be able to buy soup at grocery stores or anything like that? I'm sorry. Paula's phone just cut out on her. I, I mean, I, I, I mean, I again, I, see, I guess I feel the same way about this as I feel about. I don't know when we get reports that there's going to be blizzards and and then you you see people rushing to the stores and and buying like three weeks worth of things. I just maybe I will be caught flat footed one day. But this idea that, all right, this is going to be such a point that, you know, you need three months worth of food because, you know, we're going to be like the a, a real life version of The Walking Dead. I, I just I, I don't buy it, you know. And even with blizzards and stuff, all right. You, so you might not be able to go out one day. I mean, I, I've lived in Wisconsin all my life. I've seen some blizzards, and we do snow really well. And typically, by the you know within twelve hours after the blizzard ends, you can go out. So does that mean that you shouldn't have some food in the house? Well, no. Of course, you have a little bit of food in the house. But I don't know. I don't I don't feel the need to buy a month's worth of of groceries and stick them in the basement. Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, I got really freaked out five years ago after Ted Koppel did this story about cyber attacks. And I ended up going and buying all these canned goods and bottled water. And I had like this section of my apartment that had like two gym bags full of soup and the bottled water. And, and you know, nothing ever happened. It ended up just being a big waste of time and money. And the the soup ended up going past the date. And I right. couldn't even give it to a, to a, to a to charity. Better, yeah. So it just was this big waste. Well, you know, I mean, thanks to college. You know, it, it is interesting. See, I, I remember I was doing this radio show back at the turn of the century, you know, and, and it, Y2K. Now, a lot of people have forgotten, but there were, I mean, Y2K had something to do with the computer coding and all. And for months leading up to the, the to New Year's, there were all these people that were out there saying, okay, this, this is, it's going to be the end of the world. You know, you're going to have airplanes that are going to be falling from the sky because the computers aren't going to work. The banks are all going to shut down. You won't be able to access money. No computers are going to work in grocery stores and things like that. And, and, and a large number of the people who were pushing this were kind of, the the survivalist folks who were were out there selling the bottled water and the dried food and the things like that and then of course you know the new year's day comes around and it, it's it's nothing and then you don't hear from those folks until five years later when there's the sars outbreak or whatever and, and like i say i'm not going to criticize somebody if they decide that they want to run out and have a couple cases of bottled water that that's in in the basement in case but i, I don't know that i think that that's a bad idea in in general I'm just thinking I just don't feel this overriding desire to go run to the local grocery store and buy, I don't know, all the Campbell's soup that they have or all the canned chili or whatever that they have on the store shelves. Just don't feel that, the need to do it. Steve in Menominee Falls. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hi, Jeff. I find this whole coronavirus scare ridiculous. I mean, this is a flu that's new. And, yes, it has a little bit of a bigger potential of of hurting people. But when you look at it, what population of the United States, what population of the world has been affected? It is so tiny. It is ridiculous. And why people would hoard stuff like this is ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, right. right. Thanks for going. At least at this point in time. Okay, now, you know, maybe maybe things are going to get worse. We don't have a crystal ball. I I don't know. But, you know, to me... You know, will there be some temporary concerns? I mean, I just 
We have gotten a hold. We have gotten a handle on stuff like this in the past. I got to believe we're going to get a handle on it again in in the future. But regardless, there's got to be a lot more code red stuff going on before I'm going to run out. And again, by by six months supply of food. Jeff, I know people who made shelters with generators because of Y2K. You know, look where where that went. Yeah. And and I see I vividly remember this. I would get phone calls because, again, I was I was a naysayer. Same sort of thing. My attitude hasn't really changed in 20 years. And I would have these people calling up and they say, you're you're really missing the boat and you are doing a huge disservice to your audience by not telling them that they should be buying the generator. Now, there might be reasons why you buy generators, but but why 2K was the justification for it. And my point was, eh. Um, or you know you you gotta you've gotta be the one that's selling. They, everybody should have a six month supply of the the dried food or or whatever. And again, the justification was because Y two K is going to come. I never bought into that, and I, I mean I guess I still have it. Jeff, my wife cleaned out the cupboard the other day, threw out a ton of expired canned food. She told me I'm not allowed to buy any more canned anything. Um, I am more afraid of her than I am of the coronavirus. <laughs> that's well. That's um, that's kind of uh, true. Um, let's see, uh, Jeff. Uh, diligence is not panic. Maybe ramp up your game a bit, but you know, pay attention to normal, productive health practices. Well, and, and again, I'm I'm all kind of in favor of that, which is why I'm walking around with the hand sanitizer now, Jeff. The problem, the media, you included are the cause of this panic. If you stop talking about it every minute, people wouldn't panic. Um, all right, well, to an extent, I will say, like I was in Las Vegas over the weekend, and, and you turn on every news channel, and it was an hour after hour after hour of coronavirus, and I, I do understand that that kind of all feeds in it. At the same time, it is a story. Now, whether the media is overhyping the story, I, you know, that that's just a matter of degree. But the bottom line is, I think if you just preach being smart, you're doing the responsible thing. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Well, I feel like channeling The Clash, their 1982 song, Should I Stay or Should I Go? Should I Stay or Should I Go? Um, I, I bring this up because I find, as long as we're talking coronavirus, I find traveling to be incredibly broadening. You know, for the last several years, every fall we've taken a, a cruise. I, I come back from those cruises having seen parts of the world that I had never been to before. Uh, it, it's, you know, being able to take some of these cruises. I, I just think of some of the cities that we've been in that I just absolutely love. Budapest, just an incredible city. You know, Vienna, Amsterdam. I, I just, I feel so fortunate to have the chance to, you know, see see these various cities. I find it to be broadening. It, it just helps my perspective on a lot of different things. And, and I love love going. I love seeing places that I have only read about. One of the problems when you go to Europe is that especially if you go in the spring and the summer and the early fall, you run into huge crowds. Now, if you want to if you want to go to the the Vatican, I mean just even if you've got, you know, the greatest tour group, you know, be prepared to go early and be prepared to wait in lines. You want to see the Sistine Chapel? You're going to wait there for a while. You want to go to Venice and you, you want to see some of the museums that are there. Okay, just be prepared to wait in line. Same thing is true, you know, in Rome because th- these tend to be extremely crowded places. Well, not at the moment. 
because the fear of the coronavirus and those concerns, it, it is devastating particularly some of the European tourism industry. And this is this is a big time because this is when a lot of the season starts. You've got spring break. You know, lots of people go to places. Here's what the Wall Street Journal writes today. The Mona Lisa's daily crowd of admirers, Mona Lisa's in Paris, the Mona Lisa's daily crowd of admirers is thinned. The long line to get into St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, it, it's gone. The coronavirus outbreak in Europe is scaring away travelers and hammering tourism just as the high season gets underway. Thousands of people have already canceled their trips to the region since the disease began to spread in Italy last month. And so this is impacting hotels, restaurants, nightclubs, and conference planners all across the continent. And if you spent any degree of time in Europe, you, you know for a lot of Europe, um, th- these businesses are the economic lifeblood. Tourism is kind of like the economic lifeblood of a lot of these areas. They estimate that this outbreak at present is costing the European Union's tourism industry over $1.1 billion U.S. a, a month. And, you know, the story talks about how in, in certain areas, for example, um, in Italy, what they're finding is that the number of cancellations of people who book trips are exceeding new bookings um, starting in the beginning of February. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I want to I want to sample your attitude on this like i say i um a couple weeks ago we had a vacation scheduled we went to florida and we were in the naples area and then we went over to key west it didn't occur to me to not travel make make that trip last weekend we went with my brother and we met my niece in las vegas to celebrate her 21st birthday never occurred to me because of the coronavirus to cancel that that trip i used the hand sanitizer i Tend, I, I want to cough into my elbow. I, I wash my hands a lot. I do all those type of things. Didn't occur to me to cancel those trips. We're scheduled to go to Disney World with the family at the end of June. I, I, I have no plans to cancel that. But there's a lot of people who, when it comes to going to Europe, at least short term, you know, over the course of the next few weeks or months, they're, they're making the decision to cancel. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm not talking about going to a quarantine province in China. But if you had, you know, a European tour, you were scheduled in two weeks to go, hey, it's spring break, and I'm going to be chaperoning my high school sophomore's trip. We're going to go to Rome or we're going to head to Venice, or we're scheduled to go to Paris, or we're going to go to Dublin. All right, would you be canceling? Are you concerned about enough about what's going on that you don't want to go overseas, particularly to Europe? 855-616-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Would you change your travel plans? Now, we're not talking about running out to Costco and buying a couple extra can, you know, cases of bottled water now. You know, we're talking about a trip that you've planned well in advance. You've probably been looking forward to it maybe for a year. Now are you thinking, well, maybe now isn't the time to go to Rome or to Barcelona or to Venice or to London or to Paris. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Would you change your plans? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 
So very glad to have you with us. Wendy in Waukesha. Hi, Wendy. Hi. Okay, going to change your travel plans, or should we be changing our travel plans if we're supposed to go overseas? I think it's a, it depends. So my daughter, who's 35, has just booked a trip for Paris, and she'll great, have a great time, and she's been there before. Right. The issue, though, is that the Louvre, as, of far as, as of yesterday, was closed. You Re- can see the Mona Lisa even if you wanted to. It, it reopened yesterday. It did. That's great. It did. For how long? Well, that, I, again, I don't so, know. And, I mean, yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. And so, and that's the same thing with the Vatican. I'm sure the Vatican's going to be rethinking some things as well, especially like you said, when you go in and see the Sistine Chapel, you're one of hundreds of people and you are packed like a sardine. Right. And so I don't care how much sanitizer you put on and I don't care actually how much, how many masks you wear. That's not going to cut it. And, and if I was in my seventies and had any health concerns whatsoever, there's, I would definitely cancel. And for, and the reason for that is just because you just, at this point, there's too much of an unknown, and those over 60 are the ones that are the, at the biggest risk. Right. You know, it's interesting, because you're right, the Louvre was closed. My my understanding is the reason it closed was because the workers refused to show up for work, because, you know, France was discouraging, you know, gatherings in excess of 5,000, and you, you get like 25,000 right. people that go through that museum on, on any given day. But apparently now, at least you're right, for, for the moment, it's open. I guess I look at this, and, and assuming you are... A real, a healthy person. We're not talking about somebody. To your point, you know, somebody who's older with a compromised immune system. I guess I might even look at this as as maybe an opportunity to get some deals and to not have to wait in line. Gee, I can go up and I don't have to wait in line for thirty minutes to see the Mona Lisa or whatever. Well, actually, if you just go at night, you can do the same thing. Right. Yeah. Exactly. No, they, as a matter of fact, okay. I, I, no, there are I, other there are other ways to do it. And the thing is, right now, the, the the issue is that you could get there and spend all that money, and it could get end up getting closed. And so that, right. you know, right? Or you and, could and so get if it's stuck. Your trip somewhere. of a lifetime. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Or you could get, end up. So it's interesting because we actually have friends that are over there right now, who have been to um, actually. They've it's a you know multi country. They've been to Italy. They've been to Switzerland, and I think they're ending in France. And um, but. They're, they're also from Seattle, and yeah. so I don't know if they know whether they're going to be quarantined when they get back. Right, yeah, yeah that, that's a, that, thanks, I mean, that, that's, that's a fair thing. If, if, you're, if you're from, like, the, the, the Seattle suburbs where all this is going on, you know, are, are you better off going away and staying? And I, I do acknowledge that, I mean, to me, that's kind of the biggest concern, because you don't know exactly what's going to happen. What, what if we get to a point, and, and we're, not, we're not there yet, and, and you can kind of play the what-if games all the time, but what if you get to a point where we say, okay, well, we're not going to allow, it's spreading through Italy, for the sake, because, I mean, Italy's where you've had the largest outbreak, but still, it's not a pandemic at this point in time. But they say, okay, we're not going to allow you to come back from Italy. Well, that, that's an issue. Now, if I was stuck in Las Vegas last weekend, I, I could make do with that. Or if I was stuck in Key West a couple weeks ago, I could make do with that. Karen in Waukesha. Karen, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Karen. Oh, okay, lost Karen. Let's try, um, let's see, Sean in Illinois. Sean, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff, how are you? Very well, thank you, sir. Would you cancel your trips? Well, no, I mean, I definitely, definitely wouldn't be heading to China right now, but uh, I also believe you've got to be in tune with your body. Now, if you're susceptible to, you know, being sick, 
but I also believe that the you know your mind you know you know your body and right. you know your immune system and I would take advantage of it right now and maybe I wouldn't go to all the destinations that are popular but I definitely right. would take a chance to get out of plane and go to different countries right and, and and that's I mean that's the thing again I, I'm I'm trying not to downplay the impact of this but the truth is. For for most people that even the people have gotten it, they they recover. I mean, it, it's it's not like the bubonic plague that everybody that gets it's going to die. You you know, it, it's it's a virus. Well, common, so. sense common sense has to come in play here. You know, right? But I mean, I'm with you. No, thanks. For, I, I'm with you. I mean, if I had a, a if if I had a vacation plan to to China, I think I'd probably rethink that. Would I rethink a, a trip to Paris? A- absolutely not. And, you know, we're, we're doing a river cruise to Paris in the middle of September. And at this point in time, you know, I mean, I'm not even uh, – let's let's look and see where we are five months from now. You know, but at this point in time, would I even think about, you know, saying, oh, gee, maybe we shouldn't go? Well, no. I mean, it's, who, who knows where we're going to be a week from now or two weeks from now or a month from now, much less six months from now. Jeff, I probably would cancel, not because of coronavirus fears, but because I would be worried that the places and restaurants I would want to see and eat at it would be closed. It could end up as a waste of money. Now, that's, I mean, that's another thing that, that's going on. I remember years and years ago, I'd only been here for a couple of years, and we were going to do a trip to Ireland, and it was going to involve golf and stuff like that. But if you recall, they had an outbreak of, was it, what was it? Was it hoof and mouth? Something like that. But they had all these golf courses that were closed, and and that's, that that was the reaction to it. So if you're if the purpose of we're going to go to Ireland and we're going to play all these great golf courses, but now we can't do that because the golf courses are closed. Well, then you end up rethinking that. Oh, but but as a general rule, I mean, I guess I look at something now. And if I was scheduled to go to Paris next week, I'd be sitting there saying, "Hey, maybe this is a great opportunity that I can get in, and maybe this is an opportunity that I can get all see all these places that I want to see, and I'm not going to have to wait in line." Joe in Milwaukee. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, what do you think? My, my, my wife and I have two business trips coming up, one to L.A., California, and the other one to Bologna, Italy. And we're business owners. We can't afford to get the virus. We can't afford to tell any clients that we have the virus. We'll be out of business for X number of days. Right. Uh, we're healthy, 50-year-olds. I'm not saying that we're going to die from it. I know it's a higher mortality rate than the flu, but we're concerned. We haven't. We have not bought our tickets yet for L.A., which is an April trip, and we have not bought our tickets yet for Bologna, which is August. Okay. So we're kind of playing this wait-and-see game, and it's really it's on our mind. Every day we're looking at this. Well, sure, and I guess, I mean, the, the trip to the overseas trip to August, it, right now it's the beginning of March. So, I mean, there's a lot of time. We have no idea, you know, what the, the yeah. picture is going to look like, you know, in, in, in August. The L.A. trip, I don't know. Um, so you're you're waiting to see whether there's a, whether it gets worse in California or something like that. That's what you're thinking about? Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm going to give it seven more days, you yeah. know, because, uh, you know, t- tickets typically get more expensive as you wait longer. And I, I usually buy them six months in advance. <laughs> right. So this is kind of driving me crazy. But, uh, yeah, I, I think we'll wait one more week if there's not, like, some huge exponential growth of it. We're going to go. Yeah. And I, I think that, right. I mean, again, I, that's, I mean, I guess that that's kind of how I, I look at this as well. You know, we're, like I say, my next trip, mid-June to Disney World, you know, in Florida. 
Um, and that's, you know, and people come to Disney World from all over the world and all. At, at this point in time, it's not occurring to me to cancel it. At the same time, I'm not an idiot. And if there is some dramatic change that I'm not anticipating, that's fine. I, I told this story the other day. So we were in Las Vegas last weekend. The one thing that I noticed is that, um, okay, I stay at the MGM as a regular on a regular basis. There's this high rollers room that I kind of walk by, and they, they, they have you walk by quickly. I, I'm not in the high rollers room, but you can kind of like put your face up to the glass and, and look at the people who are in the high rollers room. And I would say when I go out there, it's at least 50%, maybe more, of, of Asians. And that's it, it's just it. And of course, that that's Vegas. A lot of the big gamblers come in from you know Asia, whether it's China or Japan or, or whatever. A lot of Chinese folks come come there. The one thing that I noticed when I was there last weekend, and I don't know if it was just a coincidence, but I was stru- stunned by how few Asians. I saw at not only just at MGM, but but all all around as you know, we walked to all the different restaurants and stuff. And, and my guess is part of that is you know what's going on in China and and you know clampdowns on travel and things like that. But it looked to me again anecdotally like some of this was really hurt in Vegas. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Stock market down 985 point, 996 points. It's just like, okay, one day it's up 1,000, next day it's down 1,000. They said at the start of the show, it's... It's just kind of wearing that, if nothing else, it's like, oh, we've got the coronavirus under control. Oh, we don't have the coronavirus under control. And maybe it's just best to kind of walk away and just not look at it for a while. All right. Democrats call it the show me your genitals bill. Do I have you at your attention there, Gru? Show me your genitals. Um, Republicans in Arizona call it gender equity. Here's the deal. Should in high school sports... Should biological boys be able to compete against girls in, and I'm, I'm going to say boys and girls, I don't mean to be sexist or demeaning about it, but just for the sake of argument, should boys, biological boys, be able to compete against girls in girls' events? Here, here's why. In Arizona, the Arizona Interscholastic Association, kind of like the WIAA here, it allows athletes to play on teams consistent with their gender identity, regardless of their biological gender. So if you come in and say, I identify as a girl, even if you've got boy parts, you get to compete on the girls' teams. Now this became an issue because I'm looking at a, um, I, I'm looking at a uh, the, the results of a, of a track meet. Connecticut allows this to happen too. Um, last year in Connecticut, the athlete who won the girls, you know, 55 meter dash was biologically a boy. The athlete that po- ran second in the 55 meter dash was biologically a boy and they were competing against biological girls and so as a result of that you have the the quote unquote the transgender kids 
who outperformed. They were competing against the girls. And, and th- there's a lot of, I mean, there's just a lot of realities here when, when you look, you know, at biology. Girls can have babies. Boys can't. Boys tend to be more fit, more fit, stronger. They tend to be faster. Again, I'm not saying that there's not, you know, great female athletes that are out there, but if you compare, you know, your, your typical male athlete to your typical female athlete, what you're going to find is just because of the biological differences, the male athlete's going to be faster. It's going to be stronger. That He's going to be stronger. That's it. So Arizona has just passed a bill. It's called Save the Save Women's Sports Act. And what this does is it would prevent girls and women in K through 12 schools, community colleges, and state universities from being forced to compete against biological males. All right, that that's it. The argument is males, this is one of the, the proponents, says males should participate with males and compete against males, and females should compete against females. Recent research actually verifies that, you know, men have an unequivocal advantage. They've got greater lung capacity. They've got stronger bones. The opponents say this is terrible. This is unfair. It's singling out you know, these people who are transgender, completely inappropriate. It's like a show-me-your-genitals type of bill. I want to open up the phone lines. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, I, I think people should be able to gender identify how they want. All right, that that that's that's just it. If you are biologically a male and you identify as a female, I, I think that's fine. If you want to call yourself Laura instead of Larry, that, that's okay. I, I, I don't have any problem with that. But at the same time, from a competitive purpose, if you are going to start allowing males, biological males, to compete in the state competitions, at, at the high levels of, of competition, I think what you're doing is you're setting an extremely uneven bar. I don't think it's fair to the biological girls, and I think you're starting to see this because the bottom line is the biological guys have an advantage. And now, is that being sexist? Is that being discriminatory against transgender people? No, absolutely not. I, I think if, for example, you are a a biological male who identifies as a female, I, I still think you should compete against the biological males or or we, we set up a second category where you allow the transgender athletes to compete against each other. But I don't have a problem with this bill in Arizona. Do you? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I guess if you were particularly from a female perspective, if you were a female athlete in, I don't know, high school or or in college, or you have kids or grandkids who are competing in high school or whatever, I mean, is it fair for the girls to have to compete against biological boys, regardless of what their quote-unquote gender identity is? And my argument would be no. Because the transgender athlete is going to have an unfair advantage. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, I never thought in my lifetime this would be a conversation. God help us. You'll never be able to change your chromosomes. Doesn't matter whether you change what you change on your body. A boy is a boy. A girl is a girl. I, I, again, I... That's kind of from a from an athletic competition standpoint. Yes, I mean again, I if if you're biologically a male and you want to, you know, and you identify as a female, that that's that's fine. Go with God. But from the athletic comparison standpoint, there is a reason why we have boys divisions. There's a reason why we have girls divisions. There is a reason why you have boys basketball teams and girls basketball teams and boys track and girls track. It's because biologically there is a difference. You know, why can't we just recognize that as being the reality? Fred in Oconomowoc. Fred, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Fred. Yeah, um, so I coached high school wrestling for 38 years. And I had a rule with my teams that if we get paired up with a girl, because we started girls wrestling about 15 years ago, where girls can wrestle on the boys' team, I would tell my student athletes that, we are not going to be competing. We are not going to wrestle a girl because we just don't do that. We're not going to be aggressive to young, young ladies or girls. It's wrong that they be taught that. Now, in these other sports, you look at the Olympics, men's basketball, women's basketball, right. like you said, all the genders have their own, own, own sports. It's just wrong to do. So maybe they could just put together a transgender class Sure. Four or five people will show up a year and have at it. Yeah. But to have boys and girls compete on the same event, I think there's there's exceptions. There's some uh, some of my friends who because I coached for a long time and I have other friends of mine who are coaches who had their daughters compete and they do pretty well. But the boy can't really win much. And I recall a case about 22 years ago where a young man, a high school boy, as a sophomore lost the match to a girl. He was razzed by his team. Mm-hmm. About two weeks later, he hung himself. Yeah. So this is very serious stuff at some levels, and uh, and it's just not the place to mix the genders. They well, can do it yeah. everywhere else. And well, exactly. For, for, thanks for calling. I mean, I get, you know, the wrestling thing is a little bit different because it's it's all about i guess opportunities and you don't have the girls wrestling team so if they want to be wrestlers they 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 have no choice to to compete this is a little bit different because my point is in this particular case it's the 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 transgender athlete the biological boy that has an, an advantage and what i would argue is an unfair advantage which which isn't to say and again i i understand i i'm sure that there are female track athletes for example that can run faster than 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 a lot of guys i i get that but at the same time the boys i believe have a biological advantage jeff if you allow this what's the point of having boys and girls sports and separating them you you might as well throw out Title IX. Well, that's you know that that becomes the question, especially if you see a rise in the number of transgender athletes. I mean, what is that going to do to girls' sports? If uh, let, let's let's take a basketball team for example, and let's say at a given school you have three males who identify as females and want to play on the the quote unquote girls' basketball team, 
And again, because of the inherent biological advantage, they're, they're going to take three of those spots. What does that do for the, the, the girls, the, the women who now, you know, they're not going to be able to get spots on the team because they're not as good as the, the boys who identify as the girls? What does that do for female sports? And, and how does that end up being fair? Um, Jeff, it's not fair to put these athletes in the same competition. I mean, yeah, I think that's that's the the case. Um, he said high school and college women are sometimes competing for scholarships. This hurts their chances as as well. Um, Jeff, the Arizona rules about boys competing as girls um, that's only in Arizona. What if these kids are really good and they win state and want to go to regionals or nationals where the boy is not permitted to run as a girl? Then the girl who actually won as a girl in Arizona loses out altogether. Definitely opposed. It's just not right. You see, that's I, I, that's, I guess, my point. It's just all about unfair advantages. And we're trying to wrestle with how do we do this in our society where, you, you know, you, you do have people who, again, you know, have, have concerns and issues and, like, identify with one gender when they're another gender. I, I understand all that. I, I get it. But at some point in time, you can't have everything, can you? And the idea is, okay, well, if you're biologically a boy, that means I think you should compete athletically against the boys. Rick in Muskego. Rick, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Um, you know, every state that I'm aware of has different divisions based on school size. You know, and I'm guessing Arizona and Connecticut are, are have those as well. If they're not even going to separate by biological sex, why are they separating by school size? I mean, there's a yeah. un- they claim there's an unfair advantage of a school of 300 competing against a school of 1600. Well, you know that that's probably more questionable than a boy competing against a biological girl. No, I think you're. I mean, right. I mean, it, the, that, right. Thanks for calling. The, the whole thing with with high school sports in particular, in your example, is we're trying to. We're trying to level the playing field by, I mean, making it fair. And to your point, that, that's why that's why you don't you you have the different divisions. You know, you don't have a basketball team from a school that has three thousand people competing against a basketball team that where there, there's three hundred students because we we take the perception that it's not fair when you have the larger student body to draw from. Yeah, if it's all about fairness, where does that factor in? Anyhow, the opponents of this are calling it derisive the show me your genitals bill. I don't think that's what this is about at all. Matter of fact, I do think it's interesting that we even have to have this conversation in 2020. Boys are when it comes to some things, boys are girl boys and girls are girls and why can't we just recognize that? Back with more in just a couple minutes. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Another example of the insane way that the city of Milwaukee throws money around and politicians are never held accountable for their short-sighted decisions. Now, one of the ways that Milwaukee 
and other communities attract businesses is through what they call tax incremental financing. What this is, is they, they want you want to have a business that's going to locate in a particular city. So you create like a tax incremental financing district. And, and what you do is you front money to do the development to make it attractive for the business to come in. And then what you do is you hope that that money is going to get repaid when the business succeeds and they're going to pay property taxes. That's, that's the whole idea of these, these TIF districts. Milwaukee does it a lot. They do it with some of the downtown properties, which candidly have had a degree of success. All right, the one thing Milwaukee has been trying to do for years is to get this Century City project off the grounds. It's Capital Drive, the old Tower Automotive AMC plant, all right? And if you will remember, so what they did is they created a, a TIF district. They, they put up $16.7 million of taxpayer money. And the idea was, here, we're going to put this money in, we're going to do all this redevelopment, and then we're going to have all these businesses that are going to flock to it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, all right, it never worked out. The, the area, there's a little bit of development there, but it essentially it is a ghost town. And... And one of the reasons it's a ghost town is, if you will remember, a few months ago, that Milwaukee, the, the city, the Department of Development, they, they had this deal with this big um, you know, meatpacking operation, Strauss Brands, which is a great company. They were going to relocate from Franklin. They were going to come in. They were going to set up in Century City. They were going to be employing hundreds of people, many of whom like live in that area. This would have been precisely what Century City needed because you would have had a, a big industrial operation and hopefully that would have opened the door for more development in the area, more retail, and to inspire other businesses to come in. But the alderman from the area decided to completely lose his spine. You had a couple politicians who decided, for our own reasons, we want to destroy this deal. So they started spreading all these rumors in town. Oh, it's going to be a slaughterhouse. It's going to be a meatpacking plant. No, you know, this is going to be off. You know, you're going to have terrible smells and all. These are people that did this without ever going to, to Strauss Brands and seeing what it was really like, which is, you know, you go out there, you, you don't, you can't tell that, you can't tell Strauss Brands is a meatpacking plant, you can't tell that any different than any other facility. But they, they scared the local alderman who has no guts at all, and what happened is, alderman pull, the old local alderman, Khalif Rainey, he pulled his support from this, other aldermen started pulling their support, and Strauss Brands said, okay, well, we, we don't want to go somewhere we're not wanted, you don't want us there, That that's fine, and they've just cut this new deal, and they're going to stay in Franklin, which is... Franklin's gain, but again, Century City's loss. I bring this up because Century City has just been a complete and total failure on any level. And you had all this money that was put into it, which isn't being paid back. So what is the plan now? Well, you've got this $16.7 million in TIF money that was fronted no return or very little return on investment. Yesterday or two days ago, the Common Council decided what we're going to do is we're going to take $13.3 million that have been generated from successful TIFs downtown. 
money that was supposed to, I don't know, when you come in, it's going to go into tax relief or things like that. It's going to, uh, again, benefit the taxpayers of the city of Milwaukee who fronted this money. Well, they decided, okay, we're not going to do that. We're going to take this $13.3 million from the successful TIF districts, and we are in the context of throwing good money after bad, we're going to put it into the Century City thing to try to pay down the debt because Century City has been such a complete failure. So in other words, the taxpayers from these other TIFs that were promised, hey, we're going to get tax relief, we're going to get all these things, you're not getting anything because they're taking the money and they're using it uh, again to make up for this bad deal that was made, a deal that has been made even worse because... Again, you've got aldermen who will turn up their nose when you have this business development. But it's just, but this is the thing when you when you apply other people's money, when it's tax money, and when you have aldermen that don't have to be accountable to taxpayers, you can kind of play this shift this money around game. Bottom line is, taxpayers have been promised uh, you know returns on their investments. You're not getting it, but that's the way Milwaukee is.